are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to Bye Week Friday here on Locked On Dolphins. Today is October 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire. Com, director of scouting at DraftNetwork.com, at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. And today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different. It is different. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. There will be no watching of the Miami Dolphins this weekend. The Dolphins on the bye. That's okay. We get a little advanced scouting report on the Los Angeles Rams. They play the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. So what the heck are we going to do all weekend? Besides sit here and him and haul about what what the Dolphins decided to do this week and if it was handled the right way and so on and so forth. And I, I get the apprehension. But I think that's one of the first massive takeaways that I have regarding the quarterback change for the, the Miami Dolphins is that we all have some adjusting ahead of us as Miami Dolphins fans. And the reason being, for the first time in a really, really long time, the Miami Dolphins are relevant on a national scale. Miami has had playoff seasons 2016 2008 but since the turn of the millennium the Miami Dolphins have generally speaking for the past decade and a half been on the back burner of life in the NFL we're an afterthought you know when they do the Sunday night football recap shows ahead of Sunday night football that recaps all the action in the league how many times do you get into that or when Chris Berman used to do the fastest three minutes And, like, you could flip a coin on whether or not you were going to see the Dolphins game showcased at all or if they were just going to stick that score up there with the three leaders in the box score on each side and their record and their next week's opponent. That's what happens when you have three winning seasons since 2005, and one of those seasons was 2005 under Nick Saban. Generally speaking... Nobody on the national media scale has had to care about the Miami Dolphins, which then makes it exponentially more annoying when morons and nimrods like Skip Bayless get on and spout off the BS that they were trying to spout uh, about Ryan Fitzpatrick and how he was playing too good for the Dolphins and that's how they had them. What are you talking about? So it's this, these eye-roll-inducing takes have been coming in all week long from no, all all stretches of coverage of the game of football. Some of them from places of being well-educated and some of them from not. Some of them asking reasonable questions. I thought Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes asking and questioning about the offensive line was a reasonable question to ask. But then you get takes like, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing too good and there was this conflict within the organization about what happens if we win the division with Ryan Fitzpatrick. What do we do with Tua next year? Good. I hope we would have won the division with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because at the end of the day, Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be 38 years old at the end of the season. Nobody's going to 
back burner to a tongue of Aloha long term because Ryan Fitzpatrick at 38 years old took the Dolphins to 10 and 6 or whatever and hypothetically won the AFC East. It's a dumb take. But that's the adjustment period that we're going to have to have as Dolphins fans consuming, having the, the larger scale and coverage of the league, having the Dolphins on the forefront of their minds again. Because with Tua Tungvaloa now as the starting quarterback, the Miami Dolphins are relevant. They're 3-3. Three and three. They're a contender for a playoff spot in the AFC. They just put one of the biggest superstars in college football in recent memory in as their starting quarterback. The Dolphins are very much relevant on the national stage for the first time in a really long time. Even 2008. Oh, they were the fun story. They, they busted out the Wildcat, and they went from worst to first. And then they were back to losing seasons like the very next year. 2016 will forever be one of the biggest statistical anomalies that the Dolphins somehow managed to finish that season 10-6. and six. But they did. And then lo and behold, they're back to 6-10 and 10 in 2017 and 7-9 in 2018. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse here about the quarterback change and fits and whether it was handled the right way or not. I could tell you Brian Flores probably had individual one-on-one conversations with both quarterbacks involved in the decision. And because the Dolphins were on a bye, their ability to meet as a team was impacted, but they wanted to communicate that so game planning could move forward appropriately. Somebody probably got a little excited, caught wind of it, threw one of the two quarterbacks, and bang, it drops on the bye week. Brian Flores said he was not happy about the way that it dropped. He apologized to the team, said he didn't think it was fair, and he's right. The team shouldn't have found out that way. Brian Flores knows it. I just hope whoever took this to Adam Schefter once the communication was made, because that's how, like, how else would you communicate this change? You pull everybody into the cafeteria and you say, hey, guys, we're going to make a change. Two is going to start next week in front of the entire team. You got to talk to the individuals first. That's common courtesy. The unfortunate byproduct is somewhere in between having a private one-on-one conversation with both of those two individual players and the first opportunity to talk with the team, Adam Schefter got a hold of. It is what it is. It's done. So one of the big questions that I've seen now is, hey, should the Dolphins, you know, if this is a forever move, they're not going back, should they lend any consideration into trading Ryan Fitzpatrick, to which I would emphatically say absolutely not. There's a couple reasons why I think trading Fitzpatrick is a non-option for the Dolphins unless they got something that blew them out of the water, which would be like a top 100 pick, which they will never get for Ryan Fitzpatrick. A couple reasons why. Quarterback trades in season, very rare. Expecting a quarterback with all that he is responsible for to come in and learn your offense and execute it mid-season for a team like, say, the Dallas Cowboys, right? They like Dak Prescott. Andy Dalton looks like crap. Dallas says, hey, you know, we want to bring Ryan Fitzpatrick in. A, I, I don't think by the time Fitzpatrick learns the system well enough to operate it, the the his impact would be negligible because you're talking probably about a month of install. 
six weeks of install. Maybe less for fits, but it took two an extra six weeks of install. Second of all, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be 38 at the end of the year. He's on an expiring contract. The hell does somebody give you for that? A conditional seven that he re-signs? You'd have to almost give him away. And as if benching him wasn't hard enough, then you're going to trade him for the NFL equivalent of a half-eaten bag of chips? Imagine what that would do to the locker room. We're sitting here worried about the decision to bench him, what that's going to do to the locker room. Dolphins say, hey, Fitz, we really appreciate the 19 starts you gave us. You know, you did a great job, but uh, we're sending you to Dallas. Oh, what'd you get? Oh, uh, it's a conditional seventh. Just pack your bags and get out of here. What kind of message does that send? So in my opinion, absolutely not. Between his trade value as a 38-year-old quarterback on an expiring contract in season, all of those things add up. His value to, I said this about Josh Rosen, I ended up being wrong, but I'm fairly confident I'm going to be right here. Ryan Fitzpatrick holds more value to the Dolphins than he does to any team for the rest of the season in the NFL. Because, you know, also, the durability concerns with Tua Tungavaloa have not gone away until he can prove that they don't exist. He's played five snaps. He threw two passes. The Dolphins with Ryan Fitzpatrick will have one of the best backup quarterback situations in the NFL for the remainder of the season. A terrific quarterback mentor, somebody who understands the business and understands that this is, was a necessary change. And heaven forbid Tua gets hurt, the Dolphin season's not over because Ryan Fitzpatrick is capable of coming in and playing at a high level. So for all the, the questions and speculation and, and hey, dude, is Fitz an asset that's worth moving? In my opinion, no. My opinion, he's not. The Locked On Network has been raving about Built Bars ever since the summertime, but the Built brand has a new product. It's a workout gel called Built Go, and it's built to help you break through your mental and physical barriers every single day. It's easy to take. It comes in a one and a half ounce package. You can put it in your back pocket, in your golf bag, in your suitcase, your briefcase, your lunchbox, you name it. It is easy to have on the go, hence Built Go. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like a five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine, but even better results. comes in three delicious flavors. My personal favorite is chocolate mint. If you like coconut, chocolate coconut is a really good way to go. There's also peanut butter honey. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein, which is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system fast, and it's easier on your stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff, like beta alanine, B3 honey, and a kick of caffeine, and it kicks to keep you going all day strong, all day long, with B6 and B12. So visit Built Go and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Friday here on the the show, bi-week vibes, so please indulge me. Um, It's all really cool stat pertaining to the Dolphins' courtesy of next-gen stats. And it pertains to the Chan Gailey offensive identity. 
Dolphins really surprised when they decided to let Chad O'Shea go uh, at the end of the 2019 season, and then they they hired Chan Gailey, and we said, okay, we're ex- going to expect horizontal spread, space the field, and then that way you can identify pressures easier and find outlet passes easier. Well, Next Gen Stats uh, has tallied the average offensive formation width through the first six weeks of the NFL season. So from the most outside receiver or offensive player on either side of the field, what is the distance between those two players that all 11 offensive players are fitting inside of? The Los Angeles Rams, Miami's week seven opponent, week eight opponent, excuse me, they're on a bye week seven, duh. 20.4 yards. By two full yards, they are the most condensed offensive formation average in the NFL. What is the appeal there? Well, it gives you more room to work breaking out, breaking outside the numbers. McVay, he loves to use misdirection. He loves to keep everything in tight and then do motions and jet motions orbit motion, and all these things at the snap to kind of get your eyes crossed up, and then he's going to leak receivers behind your linebackers with the eyes in the wrong spot or who are distracted by eye candy. So that's the challenge with the Rams offense is there's a lot of eye candy for defenders that if you're not disciplined with your specific assignments, which forecasts well for the Dolphins based on their play the last month of the season, because the Rams don't have overwhelming physical talents. Like Seattle had DK Metcalf, who just completely overwhelmed Xavier Howard. X has been terrific the other three games in the past four weeks. The Miami Dolphins, the only team in the NFL with an average width of their offensive formation that exceeds 30 yards from outside most player to opposite side of the field outside most player the only team in the NFL 30.1 yards so when we've talked all spring and all summer about horizontal spread this is what it is it's they they are more prone than anybody else in the entire NFL to use at more of the field in their pre-snap alignments than anybody else the appeal here is what As we said, it's going to make identifying pressures easier. It's going to get you more clear one-on-one opportunities. Because if a team plays man and they want to blitz you, somebody's going to have to cheat. Either they cheat or they stay in their base alignment and they're further away from the quarterback, so you run the risk of not getting home. And if you don't get home on your blitz, you're playing man coverage, What did the Buffalo Bills do to the Miami Dolphins in week two? You shredded the hell out of them. Well, that's the risk you run if you don't kind of cheat on your alignments against a team that's going to spread you out to this degree. So how does this correlate moving forward? Well, it's kind of hard to say specifically, but your hypothesis is that the Dolphins will have an easier time with Tungavailoa 
leveraging that individual linebacker or that individual safety or that individual hash defender in nickel who's responsible for run fit or simultaneously responsible for throwing window in the hook curl region. Alabama ran the slant RPO, the glance, a ton. Well, the Dolphins start hitting that with Tua, and he's much more proficient after the snap to make those ball-handling decisions and pull and throw. Plus, he's more accurate. He's got quicker feet and better footwork than Ryan Fitzpatrick as far as pure uh, discipline with his technique. Watched uh, J.T. O'Sullivan of the QB school break down uh, Fitzpatrick's game versus San Francisco. One of the phrases that uh, he used to refer to Fitz was he was he was toesy and he was heel clicky. And what that means is when you watch Fitz and he hits the back of his drop and he kind of redirects to gather himself and get momentum into the throw, his feet really narrow. His base gets like all the way together where it's like it's like his heels click as he hitches into his throw. And by getting completely detached from the ground like that, as JT was explaining it, what ends up happening is your base gets misaligned, you lose some of your power to drive through your throws, and it impacts your precision accuracy. Tua will not have that problem because you watched his footwork at Alabama and it was sublime. And there's no reason to think that he won't have more of the same. So more precision accuracy could be the difference between the Dolphins hammering in tight window throws and not getting a lot of run after catch to potentially having a few plays in run after the catch that really blow up. Food for thought. But I found that interesting. So this kind of next-gen stats about the, the spacing of the Dolphins' offense was a really nice reinforcement of what we should expect to see and what this offense has been. Rams, 20.4 yards of width for their average offensive formation. The Dolphins, 30.1. Stylistically very different. But nevertheless, two teams that are going to look to sling the ball around a little bit. What I'd like to do to finish today is a little rapid-fire work through uh, NFL trade rumors, uh, which... NFLTradeRumors.co gives you a great opportunity to kind of scroll through and get a viable on some of the players who are available. They do these divisional breakdowns. For example, yesterday, AFC South. Colts listed Jacoby Brissett, courtesy of ESPN's Mike Wells, as a potential trade candidate. Not going to move the needle for the Dolphins. He's also in a contract here. ESPN also listed... Jaguars wide receiver Didi Westbrook is a potential trade candidate having fallen out of the rotation in Jacksonville. That would be an interesting one to me. Probably could be had for very cheap because Jacksonville between Keelan Cole and DJ Chart, like he has really become kind of this background player and he of Oklahoma fame when I believe Baker Mayfield was there. Uh, really shined as far as a run-after-catch type receiver. I'd actually probably like him more than Houston Texans have Will Fuller 
pegged as a potential trade candidate, according to TradeRumors.co. Fuller, much more of a straight vertical receiver. Straight line guy, durability's been a problem. Estimated, according to to the Athletics' Aaron Race, uh, estimates a third-round pick would be the price, potentially. And that's a little rich for me. Houston's got a ton of names. Kenny Stills. Uh, Daniel Fells, tight end, running back Duke Johnson, J.J. Watt. Those were the ones that that were pegged, although Watt would be apparently, uh, according to the Athletics, Aaron Race, way more expensive than what the Dolphins would pay. Maybe Duke Johnson, if you could get a late-round pick for him, although I I doubt it. I I feel like that's kind of just at this point a lateral move and just, Spending just to spend versus Miles Gaskins doing well in that role. So I would say of the AFC South rumors that were listed, Corey Davis, uh, ESPN's Deron Davenport, who's a good friend, uh, lists Corey Davis as a potential trade candidate, although it would take a strong offer to part with him. I think of the AFC South listed players, I would probably earmark D.D. Westbrook as the most interesting to me. ESPN, Jake Trotter pegs Browns tight end David Njoku. Absolutely would be interested in that one. Uh, I've been a big champion of 12 personnel, more 12 personnel personally, just kind of my personal philosophy on the team. And Njoku would allow you to still space the field. Uh, I would love nothing more than to kind of marginalize Chandler Cox and get a more dynamic potential receiver. If we were going to go with kind of shotgun, pistol, passing formations, Njoku, I think, could feasibly do that. Uh, I'm a little angry at Minnesota. They traded for Yannick Ngakwe, uh, who's a big man crush of mine as far as his talent on the football field. And two months later, gave up on him. They they literally just traded him yesterday to Baltimore for a third-round pick and a conditional five two months after trading Jacksonville a two and a conditional five to get him. That's crazy to me. But Minnesota season is obviously very clearly off the rails. Baltimore Gus Edwards listed as a potential cut or trade candidate. Pittsburgh, Justin Lane, cornerback. I'd say Njoku is Definitely the one that moves the needle for me the most just because you can have so much more versatility when you have athletic tight ends. That's why please don't be mad at me when we get in the offseason and I mock the Dolphins an early tight end every once in a while because I'd love to see it. AFC North, some notes here. Montrevious Adams uh, for the Packers. He's a third-round pick. He's in the final year of his deal. That one would move the needle for me a little bit. Dolphins searching for some defensive line help. Adams is in former Auburn Tiger, and we've very clearly seen the infatuation that the Dolphins have with some recent Auburn Tigers. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Montrevious Adams is one that, that kind of piques my interest. Also mentioned through this aggregation from Rob Domofsky of ESPN, um, Josh Jackson, a corner and tight end Jay Sternberger. Uh, Jackson has not lived up to his potential in Green Bay as a former second-round pick. Sternberger, 
Um, struggling to kind of find his footing there. Oren Burks, linebacker, also from Green Bay. Green Bay apparently has some some players that could be movers and shakers as far as if they're looking to cut some dead weight or, or get some return on investment, which good teams do when they're not going to bring guys back, hence why the Dolphins training Raquan McMillan, right? AFC West, ESPN. These are all courtesy of the ESPN beat writers as far as listing potential trade candidates. Broncos, tight end Jake Butt, nah, not really interested. Uh, Shelly Smith for the Chargers, Melvin Ingram would absolutely be interested. Um, but his price point is going to be massive because he's really, really good. <laughs> he is a terrific pass rusher. Super versatile. I think Brian Flores would love having him around. He's in a contract year. Uh, the Chargers, I think they restructured his contract to fully guarantee all of his money uh, to protect him from injury issues, uh, which was the very high-class move for the Chargers to make. Um speculation being that the Chargers would like some better offensive line play and protection. Well, you've come to the wrong place if you're looking for that, unless you're looking for a draft asset that you can spend on spend on a pick in April. Because uh, the Dolphins, I wouldn't endorse them training any of their depth on the offensive line. Keep what you got. That was the whole reason why we invested for, for this point, till the dust settles. Raiders, Paul Gutierrez lists A. Jones as a potential trade candidate. Not really interested there. Uh, so AFC West, Melvin Ingram is is potential home run addition, but not sure you're going to trade a premium pick and then sign a guy to a monster contract is for a guy who's 30, 31 years old, something like that. So there's some options out there. I know that was one of the big things with the uh, iTunes questions and also the Twitter questions for Power to the Pod this week was, you know, trade deadlines coming up. What should we do? I don't endorse trading Ryan Fitzpatrick. I do think there are some guys that would be really interesting to kick the tires on. Specifically, Montrevis Adams uh, from Green Bay is kind of like, that's probably the most realistic. Hey, the Dolphins have a little bit of a need here. Devon Godchow's in a contract year. You could probably get him for fairly cheap because he's an expiring contract and he's not playing a high amount of snaps in the rotation. So, Something to keep an eye on. Chris Greer will definitely be busy this weekend working the phones, especially since the Dolphins are not playing on Sunday. So, hope you guys enjoy the bye. Hope you guys enjoy some college football this weekend. The Big Ten is back, so plenty of NFL draft prospects worth your attention as a Dolphins fan. Keep a close eye on that Minnesota-Michigan game. Linebacker Cam McGrone, defensive lineman Aiden Hutchinson, edge rusher K. Woody Pay. Minnesota running back Mohamed Ibrahim. A lot of notable names. Rashad Bateman, receiver from Minnesota. Potential first-round pick. A lot of talent in that game if you're looking for uh, getting on the bandwagon for watching some college prospects without the Dolphins this weekend. So, Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Appreciate the time, as always. Appreciate your listenership. Appreciate you rooting for the Dolphins along with us, and we're all on this ride together and looking forward to what the next few months hold as we enter into a new stage of relevancy that we as Dolphins fans have not endured in quite a long time. Kyle Krabs, keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. Enjoy the games this weekend.